If you have not heard, or if you need good news, this is our last week outdoors. So we will be <laughs> indoors starting next Sunday. And if you haven't heard about that, uh, make sure to get on our newsletter. Uh, all the information for that will be on our website also, probably starting either today or tomorrow. We will be meeting indoors at the Lamar Street Event Center, and uh, looking forward to that, especially today or last week, because it's too—it's either too hot or too cold. It's always something, right? So we're looking forward to doing that. Um, it, it, whether you saw the newsletter or not, you have to register to attend that. So please make sure to look at the guidelines that we have. Uh, Some—it's similar guidelines to here, except you have to wear masks the whole time, although wearing masks right now doesn't seem like such a bad idea. It gives you kind of some warmth and, you know, helps your runny nose. But um, but yeah, make sure you just see all the guidelines on that. Register to come. That is starting next Sunday. Okay, so looking forward to doing that. We'll also start a brand new sermon series looking at really what God's heart for you, for us, uh, is called Greater Things. You've probably heard the phrase before that God can do more than we ask or imagine. And really, what does that look like? What does that mean in our lives? What are the greater things it is that God wants to do in our lives, through us, for us? What does that mean? So that's all starting next Sunday. Uh, look forward to doing that with you, being there with you, indoors, with heating and air conditioning and all of those great things. Okay, let's pray and ask God to uh, speak to us today. Father, would you um, speak through your word to our hearts today? We uh, that are here outside are probably cold, which can be distracting, but we ask that you would remove that distraction. Allow us to focus for this time to hear what you want to speak to us. And for those online, we know it can be distracting, multitasking, having multiple tabs open, doing different things. And I pray, God, that you would allow the hearts online to hear your voice, to listen to you, to allow our hearts to just be totally open to receiving your word and what it is that you want to say to us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we live in a broken world. That's not hard. That's not something I don't think I have to convince you of. We live in a broken world with all sorts of needs. Our world is filled with needs. Our world is filled with hurts. Our world is filled with pains. And it's filled with all sorts of different problems, both in our city, nationally, across the globe. Our world is filled with injustice. Our world is filled with all sorts of kind of injustices. And we see those, or we hear about them. We see them in the news. We may experience them even in our lives. We see them around us. Our world is filled with injustices. It's not hard to see. There's sex trafficking, there's poverty, there's people that struggle even to have water. We have abortion rampant in our country. We have racial injustice that is filling the headlines, obviously, uh, especially during this time. We have all sorts of injustices that we see. And some touch our hearts more than others, just maybe based on your life, your experience, the things that you are close to. But we experience it all the time and often... It's confusing. 
It's confusing to know what to do in something so overwhelming. It's confusing sometimes to know even how to think about things. Even within the church, even within Christians, there's different viewpoints where some people may lean on one side and some people may lean on another side, where some people don't understand how anyone could think this and others think the same thing about their position. It's often hard. There's often tension to know. We, we, we all agree, I, I would imagine, that our world has injustice in it, and yet it can be confusing, overwhelming to know what do we do about it, how do we think about it, what's the right way to think about things. How do we as Christians address injustice? How do we as Christians allow our minds and our hearts to be shaped around how God views injustice? And and we're not going to look at everything that the Bible says about justice and injustice, but we are in the book of Proverbs. This is our final sermon in that series and looking at what it specifically says about justice and injustice and wisdom that it gives us to think through these things, which I think is very important for the church today. What does the Bible speak to us about the wisdom that we need for living with justice? Let's start with this. What is justice? There's a lot of talk about justice. There's a lot of talk about social justice, about justice, whether that's in the church or just in the headlines, about wanting justice. There's a lot of talk about justice, but how does the Bible define justice? How does Proverbs, how does God define what justice even is? Here's what Proverbs says, chapter one, the very beginning, one through three, it says, this is just the introduction, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. And those two words, righteousness and justice, are linked throughout the Bible. Righteousness and justice. And I want to just break down those words a little bit for you to see what the Bible even means when it talks about justice. The word and, and righteousness and justice really go together to speak of God's justice. The word for righteousness there is a Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew, but I can, you know, pronounce things that uh, the Bible dictionaries tell me how to pronounce, but it, the, the Hebrew word for this is sedeka, which means righteousness, but really bigger than that, because when we think about righteousness, we probably think about living a good life. And that's true, but even more so, what righteousness is, is living in right relationship to others, the way that God designed things. God designed us to relate to each other in certain ways. And when the Bible speaks of righteousness, with this word in particular, it is living in right relationship in the way that God designed things, in the way that God designed things. It's not just being good to each other, but it is saying, how is it that God designed this world and our human relationships to work? How did God design us to relate to one another and therefore How do we live in that? So it includes fairness. It includes equality. It includes love. It includes anything that is saying, I am living the way that God designed and created us to relate to one another. It's about right relating. One of the kind of preeminent commenters, scholars on the book of Proverbs 
Bruce Watke says that when Proverbs is using the word tzedakah, that it, it defines righteousness as to bring about right and harmony for all, for individuals related in the community and to the physical and spiritual realms. It finds its basis in God's rule of the world. The righteous, Sadiq, are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. So righteousness, righteousness is living in right relationship to the way of God's order, of his design, of his creation, and being willing, the righteous are those that are willing to say, I will be disadvantaged for the advantage of the community. I so want and am willing to have right relating that that is what I am willing to do, which means this. It actually means, and Proverbs says this, if righteousness is about right relating to one another, it actually means that people have a right to be treated fairly, a right to equality, a right to our love, a right to the way that God designed human relationships and the world to work. Here's what Proverbs 29, seven says, the righteous person knows the rights of the poor but the wicked one does not understand these concerns. This is where the Bible gives us actually a basis for human rights because our rights are based in the fact that God has designed and created things in a certain way. He defines how human relationships are supposed to work. And thus, people have a right to how he made it. That's the first word that Proverbs gives to us that the Bible often speaks of is righteousness. It's right relating. And then the word justice, but really those two concepts go together. The word for justice is mishpat. Mishpat means, here's what Bruce Wackie says, two people or groups of people whose interrelationship is not intact are restored to the state of shalom through a, which is peace and wholeness, through a third party. Mishpat is the word that we might often think of when we think of justice, which is if God has designed things to function in a way with right relating, the reality is they're not. Things are broken. Things need to be fixed. It's getting back to the right way of relating that God designed it to be, getting back to the right order that God set up. So anytime that, anytime that you feel, and I'm not saying anytime you feel this, it's, it's correct, but when we feel that sense of this is not how things are supposed to be, this is not okay, this is wrong, when we feel that, our spirits are in tune with, this is not the way God designed it. It's not the order. That's not how people are supposed to be relating to one another. We are speaking of mishpat, which is to say it needs to be back to the shalom, the wholeness that God designed it to be. And the reality is that some people are more vulnerable to things being disordered than others. God has designed things to function in a certain way. He's designed an order, a wholeness of how he wants our relationships to be. And yet, 
some people in particular experience that disorder more than others. Here's what Proverbs 13, 23 says. The uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food. So he's talking about the, there's people that are poor, their uncultivated field is actually giving them abundant food. Meaning God actually provides and blesses them. And even though the field maybe wasn't the best, it still produced all of this stuff and they have a harvest, but without justice, without mishpat, it is swept away. Meaning even though they have something, without justice, they are vulnerable to that being taken away from them. Over and over again in the Bible, there's kind of four groups of people that are often linked to the need for justice. The fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, the poor, those groups, those groups were vulnerable to not experiencing the right relating. And that's true often today of those four groups, but we could include other groups in that that are more prone to be experiencing a lack of the right ordering and relationship that God designed it to be. Righteousness is to live in right relating for how God designed things. Justice is to restore that right relating to what it is supposed to be. And some people in particular, and some groups of people need help to have that right order restored. Together, if you put those ideas together, it could be what we call social justice, right relating, restoring together. And both of those ideas are not a one-time thing. It's not charity. It's not supposed to be, oh, I see this kind of event or see this thing that needs something to fix it. It's not a one-time thing. When God calls us into righteousness and justice, it is a quality, a pattern of life, a commitment in life. Bruce Watke again says, the restoration of the community order should be understood not only as a one-time act, but also as a continuous activity, as a constant preservation of the shalom. That word is a Hebrew word for God's wholeness, his peace, experiencing his created design. So justice, what is it? Justice is a commitment to set things right, a pattern to set things right the way God designed them to be. That's what justice is. We look at our world and we see so much injustice. If we want to have wisdom of how to think about it, of what even to do, we have to start with what does the Bible even say that justice is? And second, why do we do justice? We need some motivation to do justice and, and some way to think about it correctly. Otherwise, either we won't do it or we won't do it in the way that God designed it to be or it won't be a pattern in our lives. So why do justice? When you look at our world and you experience injustice, what is it that motivates you to want justice? Sometimes it's guilt. We look at the things happening and we feel bad and go, okay, I better do something about that, I guess. And Maybe even hear a sermon or read a blog or a news article and go, okay, I guess I should do something. I'm not doing enough. 
Sometimes what motivates us to do justice is we want to be on the right side of things. And that might be positively or kind of unconsciously just not wanting to feel like one of the people that's the bad guys. We may want to be on the right side of history. We may not want to be thought of as someone that is thinking about things wrongly and want to identify ourselves as I'm not one of those bad guys. Or maybe just because we want things to change. We may want justice or to be a part of justice because we want things to change. We want things to be different. But Proverbs roots the motivation for justice deeper than these things. And the Bible, but we're just looking at Proverbs. Proverbs roots the motivation for why should we do justice deeper than change, being on the right side of history, guilt. It roots justice really in two things that we can look at. Much of the way that it speaks of justice is rooted in what is called the imago Dei or the image of God, that we are all made in God's image. God is called the maker over and over again of certain groups of disadvantaged, vulnerable populations. In 12, excuse me, in 22, 2, it says, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. Proverbs 14, 21, 1431, excuse me, my tongue is frozen. 1431, the one who oppresses the poor insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honors him. So to insult the poor is to insult God because God is the maker. If I made a bunch of things, which I don't, I'm not handy like that, but if I made a bunch of things and you said, I hate that table, that sucks. This that you made, that's awful. I wouldn't say, well, I, I don't care. I, I have no connection to those things. I just made them. I wouldn't say that. I am linked to it. And God says, I am the maker of the rich and the poor. I, he calls himself the maker. And so to oppress the poor is to insult God himself. Proverbs uses this language often. He identifies with. Why do justice? Part of it is God is saying, these are mine. I made them. They belong to me. All people are made by God. But since it's easy to devalue some groups of people, he specifically reminds, yes, all people are made by me, but I am their maker. And someone could say, well, haven't you made all people? And God would say, yes, but right now, because it is easy for these to be devalued, I want you to know I am their maker. They belong to me. I have made them. And if they belong to him, to act to them in some way is to act to him. To insult them is to insult him. To show kindness to them is to honor him. Jesus says the same thing when he comes, by the way. He says, that wherever you have visited the prisoner, clothed the naked, fed the hungry, he says, you did that to me. Jesus deeply identifies also because he is the maker. So that's the first thing. Why do justice? Much of it is rooted in the fact that God says, they are mine. I made them. They are in my 
image. They belong to me and show something of me and I deeply identify myself with them. Second thing, it's not just that he made them. God fights for those that are vulnerable to injustice. He fights for them. 22 Verses 22 to 23 says, don't rob a poor person because he is poor and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate for the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. 23, 10 to 11 says, don't move an ancient boundary marker. That would be where you say, here's my, it it marks out where people's land is, but sometimes if someone was, Injust or oppressing someone vulnerable, someone that they wanted to exploit, they would move that boundary marker a little bit at a time so that their land increases and they're able to take it from someone else. Don't move an ancient boundary marker and don't encroach on the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is strong and he will champion their case, their cause, excuse me, against you. God not just says that he is the maker, he also says that he is the champion, that he is the fighter. That God says he sees the pain, he sees the situation, he sees the injustice that those that he says I have made and belong to me, he sees what's happening and says, I will be on their side, I will fight for them that God cares about the injustice happening. And thus, he says that he rewards those that join him in what he cares about and will judge those who don't. 22, eight through nine says, the one who sows injustice will reap disaster and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. 1917 says, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. Means when we are kind to the poor, God, we are actually giving to God and he will give a reward to the lender. God says, I fight for the vulnerable. I made things and designed things in a certain way and I am actively seeking to restore the brokenness and thus to join me in that is one of the motivations that we need for justice. God says he will judge those that are unjust. And that may be now on this earth and it may be later in eternity. Sometimes the injustice experienced on this earth is paid for. And sometimes we know we have to wait until Jesus, the just king and judge, returns and sets all things right fully. By the way, this also controls if God is the one fighting for justice and is the champion, if we are to be a part of his justice, it controls how we engage in injustice. To be on God's side means that his methods and his heart have to shape our methods and our heart. So what is justice? It's right relating righteousness and restoring what is not 
right relating, justice, a pattern, a commitment to set things right the way God designed them. And why we do it is because God says he is the maker and because God says he is the fighter or the champion. So to join him with his people in his cause. It's not something shallow. And by shallow, I I don't mean that unimportant. I mean not deep enough. It's not just saying, I want to be on the right side of history. And not just saying, I want to see change happen. And not just saying, "I, I feel guilty. It is saying, I know God. And I know how he designed things. And I love God. And I want to be on God's side of history. I want to be a part of what God cares about and looking at people the way he looks at people. Really, the why of justice is a worship of God. It's a faithfulness to God, which is why Proverbs links it to worship, saying in 21.3, doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had all sorts of rules and ceremonies around the sacrificial system. And yet God is saying, if you do not have righteousness and justice, then your sacrifices are meaningless. Because we cannot worship God in ceremony if our hearts are actually far from him. God links justice to worship. Why do we do justice? Not just to do good to people, not just to love our fellow man, not just because we want things different, but it is a worship of God. We're saying, I trust and believe the way you made things is good. And I want to work with you to get back to that. How do we do justice? It's cold, huh? My hands are freezing. I should have worn big old mittens. How do we do justice? We've seen the what and the why, but how do we do justice? Many times... We don't know what to actually do. Or we feel overwhelmed in what can I do? What can my part be? How do we do justice? Here's some things that Proverbs say. First is this. We must open ourselves. We must open our heart. Proverbs 21, 13 says, The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, will himself also call out and not be answered. So we must open our ears. 28, 27, the one who gives to the poor will not be in need, but one who turns his eyes away will receive many curses. We must open our ears. We must turn our eyes. 29, 7, the righteous person knows the rights of the poor. But the wicked one does not understand these concerns. The righteous righteous person knows the rights of the poor. They're concerned about them. That word know is that they're concerned about them. They're interested in them. They're involved in them. But the wicked one doesn't even understand these things. So Proverbs says, if you want to, how we do justice first starts with opening ourselves. Listen to all the physical language, not to shut our ears, not to turn our eyes. 
to make sure that we know instead of not understanding, it is to open ourselves to the concerns that are there. Injustice is not the only thing that is wrong. If you say, I'm not doing anything unjust, injustice is not the only thing that is wrong. Apathy is wrong. Not caring, shutting your ears, shutting your eyes, not knowing the concerns is wrong. Neglect is wrong. Here's how pastor, author, Tim Keller says this. Speaking to Christians, he says, if you perhaps make an occasional contribution to charity, but you don't give your mind and heart to furthering justice for the poor in your region and society, you are not one of the righteous. You are too concerned with your own affairs, happiness, and advancement. If you don't give your mind and your heart, see, justice, how we do it, begins with feeling, seeing, understanding, turning our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to the concerns. It's to open ourselves the way God does. So ask yourself if that is true of you. When you think about the injustice in the world and you ask, what do I do? Well, it starts with, are you open? Your eyes, your ears, your mind, that's first. Second, how we do justice is with our actions. Proverbs says in 31, eight through nine, and really these are instructions uh, for the king. If you read the beginning of 31, these are the instructions for the king. It says, speak up for those who have no voice. For the justice of all who are dispossessed, speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. Our actions, it's not just agreeing that things are unjust, but our actions, our voice to speak, to act. Proverbs talks about uh, the Proverbs 31 woman that is very famous, loved by some, hated by many. Proverbs 31 woman talks about that she extends her hands to the poor, that she gives. And we've seen many of the other verses call that same thing. But it is the actions that matter as well, not just to agree that something is unjust, but to speak, to act, to give, to share, to serve. As we looked at earlier, the righteous are those that disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. It costs something to do this. It costs to open our heart and it costs to open our actions towards those. Now, obviously you can't do everything. There's so much injustice in our world, so much injustice even in our city. How do you know what to get involved in? Even if you just think about the, the four things that the Bible often speaks to, the poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan. I mean, to say, okay, I'm gonna give myself to fighting against that injustice. That, I mean, that could take up your whole, your whole life. You could quit your job. You could spend every, like, how, how do you know, what do I focus on? 
I mean, the, the categories of injustice that exist in our world are so many. How do you, how do you know? Well, I don't have a lot to say on that. Other, because I, the Bible doesn't give you specific, here's how you choose an activity per se. I think that the Holy Spirit will put different things on each of our hearts. Things that you are passionate about may come from God. Things that you are in proximity to. That's kind of the story of the Good Samaritan, that you can't say, well, I'm not passionate about Samaritans dying on the side of the road and, and move along. That's not my calling. There's things that we are passionate about that God stirs in you. There's things that you have certain abilities for that God has given you, that you can do, even within your vocation, that you have certain opportunity in your vocation. There's things that you are close to. There's things that God puts in front of you. Our world is filled with injustice, and it must start with us opening our hearts, opening our eyes and our minds and our ears, and then acting. But those things that are there, we, we may all have different things that we choose. Some may choose foster care. Some may fight for uh, immigrants in the legal system. Some may give relief. Some may volunteer at food shelters. Some may find ways to protest and speak and use their voice. There's many different ways to get involved. There's many different things to do. The key, I think, is this. Are you, would this verse describe you? Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. Does that describe you? I think that is the key. Does your, is your heart described as, I know the concerns and care about them? Now, the problem is we don't naturally do justice or even understand it rightly. Back to the verse I read in the very beginning, Proverbs 1, 1 through 3, how the book opens. It says that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. If we need to receive instruction on these things, it, it means that naturally that's not where we start. It means that's not naturally where we begin, whether with how to do it or why to do it or what to do or what it even is. We don't naturally start that way, and God wants to shape us. Listen, Proverbs as a book, in some sense, we could say the whole book is actually written to call us into justice. That's what the opening verse says, that these are the sayings so that you could receive instruction in doing righteousness and justice. But that means that we don't naturally start that way. God knows he needs to teach us. He needs to shape us towards those ends. If not, if we're not receiving instruction from God and letting him shape us, we may just be shaped by whatever sort of political party you're a part of. You may be shaped too liberally or too conservatively and not actually be shaped by God who says, I want to give you instruction 
in righteousness and justice. Let me be the voice that is shaping your motivation and your action and your understanding. Which is why justice comes, our understanding comes as we seek God. 28.5 says, The evil do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand everything. Those who seek the Lord understand justice because we're receiving his right ordering and understand what that is and his desire for restoration. As we seek God, we understand what it is that he says to do and we also understand who it is that he is and our hearts are shaped. We, we, another way to say that is we, we receive his instruction, but we also see him and that shapes our hearts. As you seek the Lord, you understand justice because you listen to his voice on what to do and how to think, but also because as you seek the Lord, you see the Lord. And that changes our hearts to become people that know how to do justice. What happens as you seek the Lord? Who do you see him to be? Well, when we look at Jesus, we see the king who perfectly embodies the instructions that the kings were given in Proverbs. That he comes and he identifies with the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. He comes and he speaks and he acts he does exactly what Proverbs, what Bruce Watke says, that the essence of the righteous is. Jesus comes and disadvantages himself for the advantage of others. When we seek God, we see a king that embodies perfectly the call to live justly. When, we, when you read Proverbs, when you read the Bible, one of the things that you have to see is that God hates injustice. He hates it. And yet, when you look at Jesus, he entered into injustice. How could someone hate something so much and then say, I'm going to experience it? Jesus was oppressed for us. Jesus experienced all the full weight of injustice this world has to offer. An innocent man, a fake trial, an execution. He hates injustice, and yet he suffered it for you. He suffered it for you. He fully experienced it to love us, to save us. But listen, he didn't just do it for us. He didn't just suffer injustice for us. He suffered injustice because of us. He suffered injustice for us, but he also did it because of us. It was our sin that put him on the cross. It was our sin. It was our, it was our injustice, even in the way we live our lives, out of right relationship. Unrighteousness. The Bible says that Jesus, the righteous, died for the unrighteous, which is us. Jesus suffered injustice for us, but he also suffered injustice because of us, because of our sin, 
Because of our unrighteousness, he died on the cross to forgive us and to give us his righteousness. You want justice? We live in a broken world where we, where we see much injustice. When we seek God, we see the truly just king that suffered the full weight of injustice, that suffered it for us, that suffered it because of us. And the more that we actually take that inside, it begins to change us. It humbles us. Because instead of just looking at injustice and thinking, how dare those people? It humbles us to know that God says, I died for your unrighteousness. It humbles us and changes us to be a different kind of person that isn't self-righteous, but is leaning into his righteousness. It humbles us as we engage in justice. It rescues us and forgives us because we know our own unrighteousness and injustice. And we can receive forgiveness knowing that we are not defined by our justice, but by his justification of us. And it begins to give us a new love because the more that we see what he did for us, the more our hearts are aligned to him, which then align to all the priorities and the things that he cares about. It also gives us a hope. If this is a God that actually cares about justice, that he would enter into this world, then as we engage in God's work of justice, it gives us a hope to know that maybe things won't ever be full, not maybe, things will never fully be restored here on this earth. But I know that if he's a God of justice, which he is saying he is, and entered into it on the cross, then I know that he will one day set all things right. Gives us a hope which gives us the ability to endure. And as we see him as a God of justice, our hearts, our priorities are aligned and we are sent to be a part of his work. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, what we remember is everything we just said. That we are unrighteous and he is righteous. And he exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. That he, the just, died for the unjust. That he gives us forgiveness and he calls us into his family and he sends us into the world. As we take communion, I want you to pray. I want you to ask. You can pray this to God. You can say, God, search my heart. Do I care about what you care about in the way that you care about? Let me just hand these to my brother here. As we take communion, I want you to ask God to search your heart. We have this God of justice. Ask him where you need to confess. Maybe, maybe the confession is injustice that you've engaged in. Maybe the confession is apathy that your heart is not open, that your ears, your eyes are not turned to. Maybe the confession is apathy. And maybe the confession is that you have actually engaged in justice, but you're just kind of doing, doing, but not even thinking, what does God say about this? What does it mean to care about justice the way that, as an act of worship because of who he is, not just because 
of our own sense of self-righteousness. I don't know what it is for you, but I would think that there's different ways that we can pray to God and ask him to forgive us, knowing that on the cross he does. And thanking him for the justice and the mercy that he gave to us. And then asking him to send us, to use us in whatever sphere, in whatever way to be engaged in his work to restore what is broken. So would you take some time and pray? Take communion. And then I'm actually going to pray just for all of us. But just take a couple minutes and I'll come back up in a second and pray. And then we'll sing. God, we thank you that you are God of justice. That you have designed this world to experience your love. You've designed this world for people to be treated fairly and equally and with right relating to you and one another. That is how you have designed things, God. We have broken that. God, we ask for your forgiveness where we have consciously, unconsciously been a part of and participated in injustice, where we have benefited from injustice. God, where we have benefited from things that are far from your heart. Where we have been advantaged by the disadvantage of others. God, forgive us. Jesus, forgive us for not caring about what you care about. For not prioritizing what you prioritize. God, I I pray even just as a pastor of your church, forgive me for even not prioritizing teaching and training and some of the work of justice that you care about. God, let us as your people, let us as your church give our hearts, our minds, our hands to all that you care about. We thank you that you have shown us mercy. We thank you that we are defined by your justification, that we are unrighteous, but you give your righteousness. Thank you. Let that humble us and let that bolster us to be sent. You are a good God. We pray that you would lead our hearts even now to worship and proclaim your goodness. Amen.